Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan, and I am so excited to talk with my next guest. Uh, she's absolutely amazing. I read her incredible book, Uncultured. I'm going to hold up a copy for those who are looking at the video. And her name is Daniela Mestanek Young. And uh, Daniela, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to talk with you. Yeah, and your book is coming out, and uh, it's a bestseller already, even though it's in pre-sale. And uh, when I was reading it, I was thinking of the book Educated and just what a whopper bestseller that was about a young woman who was raised in a survivalist cult and how she went to Oxford eventually. <laughs> and I was like, Daniela's got even a better story than this one from my point of view. So let's let's just frame it if if we can. You were raised in one of the worst cults that I've ever worked with in terms of former members, a cult uh, uh, called the Children of God and later the the Family of Love and the Family. But this was a cult started by a pedophile who had to escape the United States because he was going to be arrested for his stuff. And he claimed to be a prophet of God, which of course he wasn't. He was really a trafficker, uh, labor and sex trafficking. He said, oh, we need to abuse children to show them, quote unquote, God's love. And we later he said, let's send out women to recruit uh, sexually and make money. And he even did so-called mo letters of happy hookers for Jesus, and we have to go out fishing to recruit new people. And I've I've helped so many people over the decades, and um, and you are what we call in the biz a second generation because you were born in it. And we're going to get into your story in a minute. But what makes you so special is that not only did, were you harmed and abused. But you got away, you ran away at 15, I believe, found some adults who were like, you're really smart, you need to go to school. And in your story, you decided to uh, accept the military because they would pay for college. And you later became a, um, a, a captain of intelligence in the army. Is that correct? Yes. And and um, went to Afghanistan and served. And you were at the forefront of women in the military. So that's a whole nother piece of it. But we have so much to talk about as as fellow ex-members. And I, I'm, I'm humbled to be in your presence because I think you've just made an incredible life for yourself. And this book is a great uh, contribution to educate everyone on the planet. I hope it gets sold in a billion languages. Um, because as you know, we're living in a time, 2022, of undue influence. That's everywhere. And millions of people have been brainwashed into believing a lying, malignant narcissist, Donald Trump, and other cult leaders around the world, like Modi of India and Bolsonaro in, in Brazil. So I'm going to stop talking, Daniela. I'm so excited. Um, I guess my first question is, what do you most hope will come out of this great effort that you made to tell your story? 
Yeah, you know, so it's interesting that you said my book makes you think of educated because my exact path was I read educated and I said, oh, why didn't I write that first? <laughs> um, and that's when I Great. decided, you know, exactly because I felt like this is 2018 and Donald Trump was president and I was kind of triggered. I was an intelligence officer that wouldn't even watch the news anymore because it felt like living under David Berg again. And I had always seen these parallels in sort of the use of programming, the use of group behavior in the cult and then in the military. And so I decided to write this book as a memoir. And I think what I hope people get out of it is because, of course, there's there's all kinds of programming. There's all kinds of influence. There's regular influence. There's undue influence. I I like to get people thinking about the extremes and comparing the extremes. And so I say that you've probably never thought about the parallels or the similarities between an international sex cult that traffics children and the United States Army. But then once you see that, you're sort of invited to look at every group in your life differently. I, I sign my books asking people what cults they're in, you know, and just part of that, I think if you don't laugh, you're in trouble. But, you know, yeah. just to get people thinking more as I, you know, did my master's in group behavior while I was writing this book, I was really trying to braid all those things together so that it's not just the crazy story of my life, but there's the so what. And the so what is we're all in groups. We are all subjected to influence all the time. And we're yep. only more likely to be able to see the toxicities if we've thought about it before. Yeah, excellent. And you did your um, master's at Harvard, um, I believe, in organizational uh, change and development, which was my master's and my PhD. Yes, um, I have one one class left that I'm finishing right okay. now. Um, but so yeah, you're, I, you're soon. I I think it was great. You know, while we were in COVID, which is the most incredible time to be studying organizational psychology, because we're in this process of change and. Yep. As you mentioned, like we are living through undue influence. I call it the culting of America um, right now. And yeah. so studying these things, but then writing a story that just has the ideas tucked in, I think, uh, to me, was an effective way to kind of get out the message. Yeah, no, I, I, I was I'm just I've been following you on Twitter and going, yes. Yes, retweeting and like yes, yes, and so same to you. Uh, yeah, your, your book, so, the Cult of Trump, was my Bible as I was writing my book, right? And I don't get political in my book because I don't want to scare anyone away. But definitely, yeah. your you know your bite model for influence and some of the things you lay out, I was you know really trying to tuck these things into the book. So the honor yeah, is mine. Great. So before we, I hit the recording button on this interview, you were telling me about Jim Jones and Berg. So uh, can we leap into that? And then I'm going to have you go back and assume the listener hasn't read your book yet because it's just coming out and give us, give your, our listeners a bit synap uh, of a synopsis of your story. But let's start with Jim Jones and Trump, if you don't mind, because you yeah, so I've studied a lot of cults, probably all the cults, at least that I know of. And Jim Jones and Jonestown and the suicides in Guyana are, of course, well, murder suicides are 
considered to be some of the most extreme. And it's one of mm -hmm. the things that the family, the children of God always used. I found as soon as you put a definition to a cult, a high control group will use your very definition to prove that they're not a cult. Um, and I, once I started studying it, I found Jim Jones to be the most like David Berg. I mean, up to the cadence of his voice and the way that he spoke to using terms like death is the ultimate orgasm, which Berg took from Jim Jones and then used it in the children of God with his sex cult twist. And, you know, I'm actually a third generation because my mom was born also in the children of God had me right, when she I was forgot. 15, but I've spoken right. with her and she said, you know, when she was growing up in the 70s, right after the Jonestown thing, they would use that, you know, we're not a cult, we're not like the Mansons, we're not like Jonestown, we would never kill people for our leader's demands. And my 13 year old mother would think to herself, but I think we would, if he told mm -hmm. us to, right? And I honestly- I know I would have. I was yeah. trained to kill and die on command. And I honestly think the, the difference why Children of God did not end up in a mass suicide is because David Berg had to flee and had to live in hiding. And so he lived separated from his followers, which, mm -hmm. you know, as we know, cult leaders usually have to precipitate their own apocalypse. And David Berg had a harder time with that because his followers were so spread out. Otherwise, yes. I mean, the parallels to Jonestown are just stunning. Yeah. I just want to quickly say I got deprogrammed from the Moonies in 76. And my plan was to fight the cult for two years, two and a half years, because that's what I how long I was in. Uh, and then Jonestown happened. And I saw the images of the, over 300 children who were murdered. I do think it was a murder. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think that right. people were committing suicide because they were brainwashed. But um, it, it, it just opened my eyes dramatically because Senator Dole asked me to come to D.C. with a survivor of Jonestown to testify after that because Congressman Leo Ryan was assassinated. Then I come to, to D.C. and I'm taken off the agenda, as is the ex-member. And I'm like, wait a minute, why? And I realized the Moonies had a lot of political power and the powers that be don't want the public to know about brainwashing and mind control. So anyway, and for you know, me, on, go ahead. on this note, right? The children of God performed twice at the white house, the family that literally was that the Clinton white house pedophilia for God. I believe it was the HW Bush white house at least once. Okay. Uh, well, they... he was the head of the CIA when the Korea Gate investigation into the Moonies was yeah. going on. So and, that makes and, a lot of sense. And they still, to this day, have nonprofits that get government grant money from the U.S., right? Family Care Foundation, which a member of my family still runs. And oh my so God. they don't have as much political power as most of or some of these big cults do in the U.S., but they definitely were trying, right? They were trying mm -hmm. to get in there in the seat of power. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. Quick point before we go on to your story. Did you know that um, Jim Jones' Bible was 1984? I that he read not. it over I... and over again, George Orwell, and that whole yeah. dystopian novel. 
I did not know that, but that doesn't surprise me because of course, one of the tools of cult leaders is the, the fear of the apocalypse and everything's going bad and I have to save you. Yeah, and they copycat each yeah. other too. And did you know that Jim Jones liked to rape men as well as women? Yes, I did know that. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, on your point, like when I first got out and started studying cults and I was reading sort of all these Christian cults, right, the FLDS and some of these others, and of course I noticed the similarities. But it wasn't until I read a book of a second generation from Scientology, a very different kind of cult based on completely different ideas. And it yep. was the same story, different details of her life. And that was when I realized oh, like mind control is all the same, right? It doesn't yeah, sort of matter. Yeah, can I ask you which book it was? I'm uh, curious. Jenna. Miscavige? Is, yeah, Jenna Miscavige, Escaping Scientology. So the, the, she was, I uh, believe, a niece of the current mm -hmm. head of mm -hmm. the cult. I do a lot of cases and talks about Scientology because it's horrible cult also. That shouldn't have tax exempt status. Yeah. And, and you know that I think that kind of brings me full circle. So then it's like, so then you recognize it, you know, I recognize it in Scientology, like, oh, these are programming tools. And at that point, I'm two, three years in the army already. I've already had the sort of parallel that, oh, basic training is programming us. I was born, you know, a soldier in God's army, as we called it. Now I'm a soldier in Uncle Sam's army. But I really started paying attention as I was studying, you know, terrorism and this us versus them and like all the ways that we program humans to kill other humans, which is what armies yep. do, right? People yep. call it good or bad, but if you take that all aside, like in the military, we get programmed and that is very similar to what some cults do. Absolutely. But I, I have the perspective of the influence continuum. Mm -hmm. So my way of understanding things is that there are cults along the continuum and depending on different variables, one can situate it more to the extreme. Like I think COG, Children of God, forgive me, uh, that's what I did, called it for years, uh, is like extreme bad and the Moonies, extreme bad and, and, and People's Temple, Jim Jones is extreme bad. I see the military as definitely using uh, behavior control, information, thought, and emotional control, especially in boot camp, uh, to break people down and create the soldier identity. But for me, um, and I believe you, you're listening to my interview with Jason Kander, who also was a captain in the army in intelligence in Afghanistan. I, there's so much I want to, to, to you to talk about, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's such a world of difference from where I stand, because I wasn't born into a cult that you know what you're getting into, you're, you sign a contract, which almost always with cults, people, if they do have a contract, it's illegible and you don't understand what the hell it is and you're signing your rights away, but you're paid, there's some benefits, there's a justice system, there's some checks and balances where you're supposed to not follow your leader's order if it's against the constitution or against mm -hmm. your conscience. I'm not sure how that plays out in yeah. reality. So, I mean, so I have some thoughts on that because when I was listening to you talk to Jason Kander about this, yep. I was like, yes, I absolutely agree. Like when you're talking to Jason Kander, a man, 
that mm-hmm. is more true. His experience was more positive. His experience going in, knowing what he signed up for, all of that. I think my experience in the Army was a lot more similar to what we call ourselves cult babies, kind of being born in the cult, in that when you go into the military as a woman, you're going into a sexually violent atmosphere. You do not know what you signed up for. The justice system often doesn't work for you. And Mm -hmm. you are, at least at the time I was joining because of the combat ban, you are literally slotted in as a second-class citizen into an organization where people have trained to be violent. And so I feel like the experience of being a woman in the military, which is really the, the lens I try to, to bring to the book, has some of these toxic parallels on Great. the influence continuum. So one of the things you educated me so much in reading your book about a woman's experience in the military And it was because I'm a guy and I was never in the military. But when you kept telling me about how so many women are raped and how you were told like that this happens all the time, it it changed my whole perspective looking from your viewpoint, having been through what you've been through. But you were literally at the cutting edge of the army adapting uh, to women in combat. And uh, I, I, when you were describing the Kevlar vest not fitting your body type, because guess what? I have breasts. This does not flush against my body, guys. Like, I never thought of that. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of the <clears throat> the interesting part of the group experience. And of course, it's the part of the my story that makes people angry is I get a lot of men, veterans saying like, well, my army wasn't toxic. You know, I didn't have that experience. And it's like, no. And you were also issued a vest intended to keep you alive. And I was issued a vest that wouldn't have kept me alive because nobody thought of breasts because we were under 20% still are, which, you know, studies show that 20% mark is where, a minority group can actually start making moves against subconscious stereotypes. When you're under that 20%, it's always operating still on subconscious stereotypes. And so, you know, we see this in my journey too, where what I was, was one of the first women. So in 2011, we'd already been in Afghanistan for a decade and they Mm -hmm. were finally starting to realize this is an insurgency, we need to win the hearts and minds, which means we need to respect the Muslim culture. So all of a sudden, we need women on the front lines because men can't touch women. So we need to have women. So because operationally it was necessary, they Mm -hmm. put us there. I have my doubts on whether or not this experiment was intended to fail or succeed, but... Mm. um, You know, they so like 43 of us that were just deployed down there were pulled from our units. We were given one week of cultural sensitivity training and then we were (laughs) sent out to these units. Mm -hmm. And it was very much like, all right, you know, prove you have the right to be here. But what I think, you know, and there's, you know, so of course I asked the army what we're allowed to say about that. Because it was very sort of cult building at the time, right? You women, yep. you're, the, you're the cutting edge, you're brand new, you're making history. Like we were very aware right. of how special we were, right? And, and what we were doing. 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I asked the army for what term to use. And they were very specific about like first in deliberate ground combat operations, because there have always been women in combat. But mm-hmm. the difference, and you'll appreciate this because we know how much of influence is for choice, right? The difference yep. is like women in Iraq and early on in Afghanistan were going out on supply patrols and they were just as likely to get engaged as an infantry patrol was. But the mm-hmm. military didn't have to call it that. They didn't have to report it that way to Congress. It was always, whoops, an accident, a woman died, not we're sending the Daughters of America out into combat. As mm-hmm. soon as it became deliberate in 2011, August, they were like, all deliberate operations will have women on them. Now you have military commanders sending people like me, zero experience, and people like you know John Runkle, who you meet in the book, or these highly trained, ranger qualified, years of patrol experience men. And yeah. we are, they are wearing armor that keeps them alive, and we are not. Right. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you change that little word, which, of course, was a word game, it affected so much. And, you know, within 10 years, we had women in ranger school, combat ban repealed, a four star general commanding operation troops. Um, And also, I believe, ties directly into the rape culture and the stuff we were talking about, because Mm -hmm. when you have a population trained to be violent, which is right or wrong. That's what the military does, right? It trains people to conduct violence on behalf of Definitely. the state. And then you have a law in your total control group saying, oh, but the women are not equal. Oh, but the women can't do everything you can do. Of course, that ends up kind of with, with raping and, and killing. And, you know, rape is about power. And so exactly. I was going to say that you beat me to it. Yeah. It's not about love. It's about power and, 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 and force. Right. And all of this is about maintaining power. And, you know, because I've spent so long sitting with the parallels of being a, a kid in the cult and being a woman in the military, like even when I was trying to sell this book, I would get rejections mostly in two categories. And they would say, we don't do children of God because the abuse is too awful or we don't do military women because there's no market. And so I'm sitting there, right? Another woman soldier is murdered and nobody cares. And I'm going like, why does America not care? Why does America not care? And then I kind of had this light bulb moment because of the rejections. And I was like, Oh, America doesn't know right? America doesn't really know about the children of God at all, even though we're one of the more notorious cults. We still haven't had our our moment in America. And America doesn't know what happens to the daughters of America when they disappear behind the high commune walls of the Department of Defense. Yep. And we're not supposed to talk about it, right? right? Because in any kind of high control group, your number one job is to not be an individual. And as a woman, of course, you break that the first time you, st- you step in uniform because you stand right. out. And then right. especially if you are to raise your hand and say, I got raped, the attitude immediately becomes, why are you taking away from the mission? Now the commander has to deal with this. Are you sure you want to ruin the soldier's career? It doesn't be, it is not how do we help this person? It's, yeah, it's not about do, human rights yeah, and recognizing women. How do we keep going women. with the mission? How do we keep going with the mission? 
Yep. Wow, there's so much I want to say. Um, so I, I, I'm remembering in your book where you talk about going into a village on patrol and you realize there were no children around. <laughs> you were like, we got to get out of here because they have an operation. We're going to get ambushed. And you saved everybody's lives. Yeah, you know, it's it's very interesting, right? Because this was right in the time where it was an active debate in the army. Like, are women good enough? People would just talk about this at work. And kind of for 243 years, we said, are women good enough to be men? Presupposing, of course, that men do combat operations the best, because, of course, that's all we have to look at in history. Mm. So, you know, that story, we get to the village and the, the guys are noticing funny things that I wouldn't have noticed, like the sand looks funny, right? I wouldn't have noticed that in a million years because I'm not experienced. Mm -hmm. But right. I noticed the children, like I'm there to talk to the women and children. So I mm. noticed that they're gone. And it's something that we brief all the time, right? It's something I brief troops on, they get briefed on, but I... I didn't notice it because someone briefed me on it. I had this like spidey, tingly sense. Yeah. And then, you know, something that really stood out to me, because in an earlier chapter, you have like a very tragic war event where it's an ambush and a huge part of my team gets killed. And yeah. no women were on that mission that day because we were in training. Mm -hmm. And the thing everyone said to us was, oh my God, oh my God, I'm so glad you weren't there, right? I'm so mm. glad there weren't any women on the team, which mm. from a survivor's guilt place, first of all, is awful to say to someone. Yep. But later, you know, after this event in the village where me being a woman did make a difference, mm -hmm. you know, I can't stop thinking like, but what if we were there, right? Like, what if we were there and one of us had noticed something, not saying that we would have saved the day. Of course not. It right. was a very complex ambush, but just that question, right? And what I really came down with was when both men and women are trying to kill you, it makes sense to have both men and women on your team trying to keep yeah. you alive, right? So that yeah. like, yep. full perspective. But survivor guilt is a real phenomenon, and it's like, how come they're al I'm alive and they're not? And what it woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know, and, all of those and things. And especially when you talk about PTSD, and I know you've talked about this with Jason Kander, um, and this really affects women, which is like, well, I went through that and I'm fine, so how come you're not fine, right? Which I, I think sort of ties into survivor's guilt, right? And we see it in cult survivors, like, oh, well, you didn't go through the worst, you know, because our cult lasted for so long. You have generations yeah. of, you know, a lot of the people from my mom's generation think they have the lock on trauma. And those of us that came up younger didn't suffer anything at all. And that's, you know, you see this parallel in the military, especially with this attitude of like, Women can't have PTSD. They didn't go into, into combat. And, you know, Jason Kander talks about how he didn't go into combat either, but being worried every day, was he going to get kidnapped? You know, he was the most dangerous place on earth. What was going to happen to him? Right. That's trauma. And I would say yeah, absolutely. my experience and for so many women over there, you know, I was told by my boss, you're probably going to get raped while we're over here. I was given statistics that show that 
most of us will get raped while we're over there. And I had mm -hmm. to walk to dinner through a place called Rape Alley. So, you know, saying to women that spent a year, 5% of the population, everybody out there bigger and stronger than us and also carrying guns and better trained to use them. And that's somehow not supposed to be trauma. You know, and it was literally to the point where halfway through my deployment, I did get assaulted. And in some ways, I felt relieved because my whole deployment was extremely triggering for me, right? I was back in a world where I wasn't in control, where sexual violence was just around the corner. But, and then when it happened, I kind of had this feeling of like, okay, now that's done. And I don't have to worry about it every single day. Mm. And that's just, you know, that's the reality of the experience <sighs> for what we're, we're dealing with over there. And I actually, well, I filed a PTSD complaint with the VA for the environment of the military, mm -hmm. kind of the, the rape culture environment that women have to live under. Yeah. All I can say is women need uh, the Equal Rights Amendment passed uh, women, you know, women need to come out and vote in record numbers to codify Roe v. Wade into law uh, to to uh, reclaim their power and their dignity and all the advances that have been uh, accomplished so far. So I'm hoping a, your book will be read by a lot of women who will be inspired by you. I mean, you're so bright, you're so talented, you're so accomplished. And now I believe you're going to have a best-selling book and hopefully they'll do a movie and you'll, you know, and people can get an education and really reflect on the times we're living in with the cult of Trump. And can I ask you to comment what you said earlier about Trump and Berg and, 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 and Jones? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, when I was, when Trump was elected, so first of all, I am one of those people that predicted he was going to win because mm -hmm. of his extremism, not despite it, which is what all the pundits were saying, oh my God, he's going to mm -hmm. win despite his extremism. And I said, mm -hmm. oh no, he's going to win because of his extremism. And I, I agreed. I, th I thought yeah. he was going to win, too. And I went from being an intelligence officer, you know, I was out of the military, but I, of course, had the news on, you know, for hours yeah. every day. And for four years, I could not watch the news because it felt like David Berg running America, right? And, and all of those things that you point out in your book, which is like, this is the cult leader playbook, and this is what he's using and for any of us that have grown up under, I think, you know, toxic control and toxic influence, whether that is under fascism or whether that's under a cult leader, we recognize what is going on here. Yep. So uh, question, are, are there members of your family still believing in Berg or have they all pretty much come to the realization that this, well, he was a bad dude? So my grandfather still runs the money um, and has done since, you know, for the past 50 years. Um, and my father was, so my biological father was actually the only person in the cult who knew where all of the money came from and went. 
So when we talk about power, this is why he did not get penalized for impregnating a 14-year-old, even even though the rules had changed. Mm -hmm. Um, My grandfather still runs the money. My stepfather is is no longer involved, but will not countenance the idea that it's a cult. And then I just have a lot of, of family members, I would say both on cult family side and on military family side that are mm. just, just upset that I've written this at all, even though they're, you know, not big fans of the cults. So or- you were born into royalty, if I can say, because I've worked with other people who were, came from top families, like my friend John Collins, who is in the cult of William Branham message churches. You ever hear of William Branham? And the mm-hmm. Message Church, so. he was one of the earlier people who was a white, racist, KKK-linked, speaking-in-tongues uh, minister that the latter reign copied and then that morphed into New Apostolic Reformation that has an estimated 40 million Americans in it, where the leader says they're a prophet or an apostle, and they can speak in tongues and cast out demons and do faith healings, etc. So I'm, I'm saying this because I want anyone who's listening to read your book and use it as a, a jumping off point to learn more about mind mm-hmm. control cults. Yeah. And you know what you said about, about being the royalty, right? And like my, my, mom's side was very connected and then my stepfather's side was famous right so my stepfather was a famous artist and a famous performer and i was from the age of one years old to the age of about 10 trafficked Mm -hmm. as a child actress well Mm -hmm. apocalypse lindsay lohan and Mm. it's it's weird to describe to civilians how like everybody knew my dad and everybody knew me um probably even the u.s president is not a good example in the military you would have a good example like everyone knows who the sergeant major of the army is when they're in the army yeah so and and that's like a whole thing to talk about right because there's always i think the cults inside the cults Right. So in Scientology, you have the Sea Org and the family in Children of God. You had World Services, WS in the United States Army. You have the Special Operations, <laughs> um, you know, and you, you don't just come off the street and go into those. Right. Like it takes you years of being trained and being programmed and proving your loyalty to yeah. the group before you get like read into those societies. But the children that come up in these societies and by the way, this is true for cult children and military children, Uh is the attitude policing, right? The expectation of being perfect, you know, because I was Daniela from the family funds. I couldn't have doubts. I couldn't mess up. I mean, when I at 15 said I wanted to leave, whoo, parade of leaders coming through, right? At first they were like, good, get out. And then they were like, oh no, Daniela of so-and-so and and -and so-and-so can't be can't leave right because that would be almost like a PR nightmare and I was at the time I was the oldest third generation still in the cults Mm -hmm. they yeah right so essentially PR disaster right when your famous people leave leave the cult and so our worlds I think you know it's 
it can be a little different from the people on the fringes that were, you know, absolutely the children were a workforce and they were out on the streets raising money, but us children that were in the inner circle, you know, I describe our lives as just no spontaneous moments of joy. I mean, you were always in a line, you were always being perfect. You were severely beaten for stepping out of line. And that is, yeah, corporal punishment is child abuse. Don't get me started, but oh, I've done absolutely. blogs on that. Um, but it's but, all about obedience. They, yeah. Cults and mind control and the army wants total obedience. Right. And so it was literally to the point, right? You know, when you say with the army, you know what you signed up for. And as soon as I put it together, right, first, first thing in basic training they do, they've already had you for a week called reception, which is just like getting to jail. And you've already been like, what went wrong with my life? And then they take you to basic training and they make you hold this duffel bag with all of your gear in it above your head for about two to three hours. They somehow always arrange for it to be pouring rain. And it's, it's this, I think it's so important because not only is it an impossible task, but it's an irrational task, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm willing to bet none of the listeners here who are not veterans have ever gone outside and held 50 pounds above their head for three hours. And right. it's that moment where you are proving your loyalty to the group or you're going home, right? And I had this realization, oh, I just joined another cult. But that wasn't, I would say, scary to me. That was, oh, I can do this. That right? was familiar right? to you. I, the I abuse signed up was, for this. It's a yeah. good cult. I know what I'm doing. But also, mm. I know how to shut down, how to not stand out, how to... You know, in the army, they say right place, right time, right uniform. That's all you need to be successful. And I was coming off of, you know, six years of putting myself through four years of high school and two through college, graduating with honors. And I remember looking forward to basic training because I said mm -hmm. for three months, I won't have to use my brain. Someone will just tell me where to be, where to go. Every time they would smoke us in the military, which is, you know, making you do exercise over and over mm -hmm. repetitive exercise. As soon as they were done, I would jump up and I would say, that was fun, or that wasn't so bad. Um, and everyone around me hated me. But what I was doing was, I'm not letting them break me, right? Like I'm in yeah. my little ways, because I know what you're doing. I'm resisting yeah. uh, the mind control. And, you know? and if I remember in your book, you're incredibly fast and would beat most of the men in races and show off, uh, uh, you know, that they aren't so superior after all, like treat me equally, please. Yeah. You know, I would definitely say I learned to play the game um, in the cult. I was, I say I was born an atheist in religious fundamentalism. Like I never believed it. I never went along with it. I was a prisoner for 15 years. End of story. So in I, the military, yeah, I ahead. tried so hard to be a true believer, right? Like I yeah. wanted to dedicate my whole life to it. I wanted to be the best. And in any group, you can find that thing that they value, right? So yeah. in college, I was the valedictorian. And then when I decided to go in the military, it's like, okay, quit chain smoking, learn how to run, right? And, right. and that, the running was the thing I think that allowed me to pass for so long in the military, yep. even though I'm not a, a good like group norm person. Yeah, I need to comment because I, you know, my model is that we're born with an authentic self and then we have a cult self that's programmed into us. 
and when you just said, I never believed, uh, it's such a, 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 I've seen this before with other people that they just saw through the crap, like the minute their brain started functioning, like they're, they're saying this, but now they're contradicting that. And it, it, it but you're so bright, you were connecting the dots and you, I just want to congratulate you on your bravery and your courage to run away from a totalist environment where everyone you know, everything, like how, do, that's incredible. I mean, you know, they say that leaving your religion or leaving your total control group is like death. And I think the only reason I was brave enough to do it is because I felt like I was going to die if I stayed there anyways. Right. And I think, right. you know, what, what you said is so interesting, right? And it, it always reminds me of that photo in Poland, 1939, and everyone in the crowd is hailing Hitler. And one mm -hmm. dude is standing there with his arms crossed. And it's always shared, like, be like this guy. But scientists tell us, right, 99% of us are going to be out there hailing Hitler. Right. I am the one, you know, even in the army, I only survived because I was the intelligence officer. So it was my job to look at my boss and be like, you're going to die if you do that. Right. Um, so the term is heroic resistor, by the way, oh, like okay. just standing up to the crowd and being true to yourself, you know, okay. to be able like to. It. Yeah. Um, but I do think, you know, what you pointed out about we have an authentic self before the cult. One thing. I think is very hard for us to realize when we are cult babies and we are born in the cult. I didn't realize this till last year, getting my master's just done a whole semester on group identity theory. Mm -hmm. And I had this moment where I realized, Oh, I never formed a personal identity. Mm. Right. I never, and, and, you know, I have a six-year-old now, so I've been yeah. watching her and kind of almost in parallel with my child, I have had to form my own personal identity, right? Like, obviously, I have an authentic self, but I've right. never, ever been allowed to or allowed myself to discover that. And one of the things I think in my journey, you know, I go from a sex cult to kind of this one one abusive relationship cults, but mm -hmm. also to being like the perfect student. And then mm -hmm. I go into the army and then I'm trying to be the perfect woman and the perfect officer. And right. it didn't really occur to me until I was writing the book, how I'd left the cult, but I just kept picking up these identities, almost like putting them on and mm -hmm. there was a moment in high school where I peaked out after college and once in the army, but then I would get too scared and I would shove it all down. And right. I feel now finally, you know, part of finding post-traumatic growth for a cult baby is going through the motions of, you know, like I love to go to thrift stores and just look at clothes and say, do I love this or do I hate this? Mm -hmm. um, you know, in every aspect of my life, like, discovering like a four-year-old what I like and who I am. Yeah, having children is incredibly healing for people born into cults that don't have normal childhoods. And I'll just want to comment as a therapist working with people born in cults, one of the things people need to first understand is like, what would my life have been if I had not been in a cult 
and I had had healthy parents, you know, a mother and a father, not raised communally. And what we now know, Daniela, is that we have neurogenesis and neuroplasticity, and we can literally rewire our neurons. Even though we know historically what our childhood was, we can literally rewire ourselves to have a healthy mother and a healthy father mm-hmm. and, and relive it- you know, opportunities, especially when you have a child. It's it's wonderful. Yeah, you know, being a parent is so, it's wonderful. It's triggering, you know, like my mom didn't grow up with her mother because she was, she left the call. And I, you know, sometimes I think to myself, like, how did I think I could be a mother? I don't, I don't have any models of mm. doing this. And, you know, one of the things that's so interesting. So my husband and I are both veterans and we don't use, corporal punishment and we do gentle parenting and we, you know, want our child to be this whole wholesome person. But the one thing that upsets us the most is when our kid doesn't like click into her good little soldier mode. Right. And that's what triggers us because as children, you know, if I stepped out of line, like I could just be dragged off and beaten for hours. And so, you know, I will see my daughter, throw herself on the ground and scream. And I'm not reacting like a mother in control. I'm reacting like a scared little six-year-old girl that just needs to get control over this little human so that she Mm. doesn't get in trouble. And so it has been an incredible amount of learning for us. And learning what's healthy, like what's authoritative parenting where you're doing developmentally appropriate you know, teaching and explaining and modeling um, and the whole issue of even identifying triggers and neutralizing them as part of the recovery process for folks coming out. You know, I always say that like leaving a cult has three parts. I don't know if you'll relate to this, but it's like you, you have the crack in your brainwashing and you decide to leave and you leave. That's the first part. And Mm -hmm. then you spend like a decade or two understanding why you were in it and what impacts it had on you. Mm. And for those of us born in it, there's systems and power structures and all this stuff that we have to understand. And then the third part is once you've rejected all of your models as toxic, how do you go forward? And I think this is where I'm in. And this part is so interesting because aren't we all going through that? in our world right now, right? We're all, especially millennials, they're really starting to wake up and realize like, oh, this country is white supremacist and sexist and like all of these models are toxic. So, you know, how do we go forward and do new things? Um, Which is, you know, And the answer is, you know, don't do computer games all your day and night, but like learn about healthy psychology and become a citizen that yeah. cares about others and acts yeah. responsibly and doesn't just follow authority yeah. figures blindly, but speaks and, truth to power. And, and read memoirs, right? Read other people's stories because yep. you'll see, you know, I love this quote, nobody reads your story, they read their story, mm. right? And, you know, I even, I get asked because the, the voice in the book takes you from five years old to 27 years old and it kind of grows up with the character and people ask me like, oh my God, how could you write 
so well as a six-year-old or a five-year-old. And it's, well, I have a five-year-old, right? I'm experiencing, I'm telling my story, but I'm also experiencing it as the new things I've learned as a mother or as a human sure. or through her since I've grown up and, yeah. and been and away from I have cult. friends who are former members who teach writing to former members as a form of therapy, like tell your story, like put it in chronology. Mm -hmm. And, and um, it's incredibly uplifting to know you're not alone and you're not crazy. And there yeah. are lots of other people who've, who've escaped. But I need to just compliment you one more time and just say you're a role model on so many levels to so many people, and especially women, I think, but men too, that there's life after cult and not and really thriving. Like I see you as a thriver, not just a survivor, Daniela. Thanks. Well, I think for 10 years, I was just a survivor, right? I was still under that mindset of you put it all behind you, you run as fast as you can, you climb as high as you can. Right. And one day, like, I'll be good, right? I'll be over it. And that was my, you know, when you when you make captain in the army, and you realize you're still not okay. That's kind of a moment, right? Where you're like, I came from being a captive in a sex cult, to being a captain in the army. Why am I still not okay? That was the moment I think I, I started becoming a, a thriver, right? Where I, I had to take my walls down and, and start learning. And it, I had the same experience wondering why more military women weren't getting published. Mm -hmm. And, you know, meanwhile, I'm doing my master's. I'm doing all these studies on women's experience in the military and realizing, like, we meet the definition of an oppressed class, which means, like, by definition, no matter how proud we have of our, of our service, it yeah. also traumatized us. And I, I thought to myself, right, in the aftermath of a, another veteran sister getting murdered, I thought to myself, like, somebody needs to, like, literally take down the walls and just lead their soul onto the page and do it kind of in a big enough way that they don't have to ask the Pentagon for permission to protest mm -hmm. them and, and mm -hmm. really show this story, right? Like I am, I love to be army. I am a super proud veteran. I'm a proud daughter of the 101st. I'm so proud of like how we literally changed the army. Mm -hmm. But I think just as important as seeing, you know, me and these other badass women going off on these patrols is seeing me and these other badass women pulled aside and told that we need to watch our backs against 25 American soldiers right. and have the conversation about why, why nobody thinks that's crazy, right? Because that's right. another sign of cults, right? It always seems understandable and even logical when you're in it, up right. to and including hooking for religion or pedophilia for God or dying for the flag or whatever it is. And it's not till we get out of that and we think like, oh my God, right? I was just supposed to be prepared as part of my job. I was supposed to be prepared to be mm -hmm. harassed, assaulted, et cetera, at, right. at any time. Uh, yeah. yeah. So um, we're, we're winding down and I know you're running to an airplane uh, to start your book tour um, uh, or do more interviews. But I, I guess I want to ask you if there's, you know, military top brass 
let's say, Daniela, what do we need to do to do better, like to reform things? Like, I'm sure you've thought about it, but like, I'm going to put you on the spot and say, like, oh, what are your words um, of wisdom? Yeah, no, so far, most of the senior ranking men will not get back to me after reading the book. But if I were to be asked that question, um, you know, first of all, we have to acknowledge it, right? Mm -hmm. So the children of God openly preached pedophilia for God, and then they tried to reform, but they were never willing to go back and say, our founder was wrong, our prophet was wrong. And so, of course, what that, prophet? That, the, the malignant narcissist pedophile? Right, exactly. And so, hmm. of course, under the surface, it didn't change, right? And that right. was the world I was growing up in, still getting raped all the time as a child, even though it was supposedly fundamentally against our rules. And mm -hmm. I think in the military, like, we have never dealt with, like, rape was literally called the spoils of war, right? Mm. One of the reasons historically that men have gone to war was to do raping. We've never dealt with this sort of like underlying culture of violence and power and no questioning and degrading women and what it does. And yep. finally, like the leaders have to care, right? Mm -hmm. So when the military decided it used to be a joke 20 years ago that if you wanted to be a sergeant major or general, you had to have at least two DUIs. And when the military decided to crack down on drunk driving, they'd, in 10 years, man, any military town, you're going to see the lowest rate of drinking and driving than mm. you would see in a comparable American town because it mm -hmm. will end your career right there. Yeah. There's no justification for it. And we say, like, the second they really want to end rape culture, they will absolutely do it. And yeah. so did hey, the, I, did the, I, the, did the I, Paris doctrine just, go, go uh, the circuit of appeals court just finally declared in 2022 that rape is not incidental to military service, or as we used to say, a hazard of wearing the uniform. So yeah. for the first time, the military can be sued for its culture of sexual harassment. And that, I didn't know that. I'm, That's I'm amazing. watching to see how fast that'll change because Local unit commanders have complete, almost total control over yeah. the atmosphere in their unit. And when you right. work for a good leader, like I work for Scott Halter in my book, mm -hmm. we did not have a problem with sexual mm -hmm. harassment in that unit that did not get right. dealt with right. because he, that leader made it very clear. And so yeah, you know, I think it, it really... always goes back to values and leadership and being willing to have those honest conversations. Yeah, I guess I'm flashing on Abu Ghraib and all the abuse of the Iraqi prisoners and the army blamed the soldiers doing the abuse instead of the leaders mm -hmm. owning up yeah. to the fact that they did not order people to treat prisoners humanely. Yeah, and the racism, you know, as I say in Uncultured, yeah. gee, training to kill people sure involves a lot of racism, right? And there were so many terms that we just weaponized against the Afghans. And even while I was over there, I wrote an essay about like, we're all cheering at the deaths of some other humans. Like, how is this acceptable in this? You know, I was like really trying to interrogate mm. it because that gets baked into our culture and mm. it's us versus them. And if you're them, you become the enemy. And what I think like my experience in the military was 
women are always a them. So you become mm-hmm. the enemy. And what the army right. does with enemies is find, fix, and finish. And so until we figure out that us versus them culture and we really make women sisters in the band of brothers, like we're not going to be able to fix that culture. Yeah, awesome. I'm going to let you go because I promised. Um, and I'm just thrilled. And I I hope everybody picks up a copy. Cute puppy. It looks like a Cavapoo. Is that a Cavapoo? Toy Poodle. I'm just going to hold up your book, Uncultured, getting rave reviews. Oh, and thank you for plugging the cult of Trump. I really think people should still read my book because I think I nailed it. I I think I got all the essentials. No, it's a great book. Like I I love the concept of going because I was saying the same thing, right? He's playing by the cult leader playbook. Why does nobody (laughs) notice it? And then I saw that you had written the cult leader playbook. I was like, oh, this is excellent. Like everyone... I would say yeah, about, I, about our books, the same thing, right? Everyone should read it because no matter how you feel, you've probably never studied this or seen these parallels. And then Yeah, once, but saying it's a cult, it, as a cult, former cult member, yeah. I'm not calling people bad people for believing lies and trusting the wrong institutional you know, leadership. I'm saying, look, mind control exists. We're all susceptible. Like, arm yourself, protect yourself and your loved ones, and let's stand up for each other and for democracy and human rights. I'll let you go. Thank you so much. Bye, Steve. Thank you. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast by Nasser Malik. To read in-depth articles about influence, both positive and negative, visit my website at freedomofmind.com. On Twitter and Instagram, my handle is at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you fully grasp the complex web of undue influence. I also have a a three-and-a-half-hour online course titled Understanding Cults, The Basics, which can be found on my website. If you're a former cult member, I congratulate you on your bravery, invite you to use the hashtag IGOTOUT, and join our online community at igotout.org. Thanks for listening, and remember, love is stronger than mind control.